Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, everyone. A number of years ago, about 10 years actually, I worked for a short while in a special ed elementary school in Northbrook as a teacher's assistant. And for a year, I was also the art teacher at the school. I'm not qualified to teach. (laughs) Uh, I guess I didn't need a teacher's certification to teach art. Uh, Anyway, they let me do it. I guess that's how desperate they were. And so every Thursday, I would spend the whole day teaching art. Uh, Each class from kindergarten right up through fifth grade would come in, in turn, and I would teach them. My main and best memory from teaching art, by far, is the couple of times we did self-portraits. Uh, I did this like the first, the first day of school, or whatever, the first week, and then again like in the new year. And I started by showing the kids a few famous self-portraits. We looked at them together, different styles and kind of modes. And then I passed around big sheets of paper Uh, big was important. And I drew on each piece of paper a big circle, nearly filling up the paper. So small was not an option. That's a little art teacher trick. You can make a note of it. (laughs) (laughs) And that circle was their head. And then they went from there and they did self-portraits. And after they were done, we hung them up in the hallways. And all of us, teachers, teacher's assistants, therapists, other school staff, we all just enjoyed those self-portraits all year long. And what was so fun about it was the way each kid's personality uh, just came out all over those self-portraits. I really think that if we had just hung up the pictures with no names, most of us who worked there could have gone up and down the hallway and identified which student had drawn which picture. Uh, And it was not because the kids were getting amazing likenesses. (laughs) I mean, you know, you could tell some things, but it was because it was a small school and we knew those kids. And their personalities, who they were, was just on display in those pictures. They couldn't help it. Uh, My wife, Jenny, and I have commented on that with our own kids from time to time. It seems very obvious, and it is very obvious, but it's still surprising to us sometimes how our kids can't really do much of anything without who they are just being written all over it. We can just take a picture of our kids, and it doesn't even have to be a very good picture. And we can still look at that picture and chuckle at how each kid is just entirely themselves all the time. Um, And that's one of the great joys of having children, right? Is discovering as your kids grow who they are and to see them living that out and displaying who they are in everything they say and do. The English poet Gerard Manley Hopkins has a line, one of his most famous poems, as Kingfishers Catch Fire, maybe you know it, where he says that every created thing can't help but cry out all the time what it is. Here's what he says. 
Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Selves goes itself. Myself, it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. This is the joy of God's creation, right? Not only every rock and tree and bird and animal, but most magnificently, people too. Each one unique, each one being what our almighty God made them to be. And in so doing, reflecting back something of the beauty and grandeur of God himself. That image is often marred and hidden by sin, but it is still there. And Christ calls it forth by his spirit in each one of us. Well, as Amanda has already reminded us this morning, Epiphany is the season when the listening church hears and reflects on the glory of God manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. In the incarnation, Jesus himself, in the words of Hopkins, selved. And who he selved was the holy triune God, hidden from all time past, but now revealed and shown forth in all his glory in this man, Jesus Christ. And our gospel today begins with the proclamation of that manifestation. Mark begins his gospel in the very beginning of chapter 1 with John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, announcing that the kingdom of God is almost here and calling the people to repent and to get ready. But now, beginning in verse 14 with our reading today, John has been removed from the scene. He's been put into prison. But now Jesus emerges on the scene, and he takes up John's message. Notice that the message is essentially the same. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The difference is, for John, the kingdom was almost here. For Jesus, not only is it here, he says, the time is fulfilled, but he himself is the arrival of that kingdom. Myself, he speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. The lectionary readings of this season of Epiphany are taking us on a kind of gallery tour of the identity of Christ. The priest and preacher Fleming Rutledge says that if we ask at Christmas, in the words of the Christmas carol, what child is this? Then Epiphany is the answer to that question. And each new reading unfolds some new aspect of the identity of this child, this man, Jesus Christ. And so I want us to notice together this morning two uh, closely interrelated things that this story, the calling of Jesus' first disciples, teaches us about the identity of Jesus Christ. First, it shows us Jesus' authority to call them. Uh, Jesus does not invite these first disciples to come and follow him. He commands them to. Come follow me, he tells them, 
and the verb is in the imperative mood. In other words, Jesus is acting like someone with the authority to command these men. They can either obey or disobey. Those are the only options they have. It's a little like when I ask one of my children to do something and they don't do it right away. Sometimes I say, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. <laughs> and my parents told that to me as well. And I can say that because God has, in fact, given me proper authority over my children as their parent. Uh, parents do have a limited authority over, their children, over our children, given to us by God, always, of course, subject to God and accountable to him. But Jesus' authority here is of a different kind. He is the source of all authority. And in exercising it here, he is revealing something of who he is. We know from John chapter 1 that Peter and Andrew had already met Jesus and had already shown interest in being his disciples. John's gospel tells us that at least Andrew had already been one of John the Baptist's disciples. And Andrew had, in fact, heard John the Baptist say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, these guys apparently do have some idea already of who Jesus is. And they are already inclined to follow him. But Mark doesn't tell it that way. Instead, Mark emphasizes the abruptness and the immediacy of the call. Jesus comes up to them in the middle of their workday and commands that they leave everything and follow him. And they do, at once, immediately. If you, you may have heard already that uh, Mark loves that word, immediately, or our, our translation says, at once. Here, he's using it to emphasize Jesus' authority and the immediacy of their response. At once, they left their nets and followed him. It's the same with James and John in the next verses. Without delay, he called them. Again, it's the authority of the command that Mark is emphasizing. And it says, they left their father Zebedee in the boat and followed him. It's almost as if they are compelled by the incredible authority that Jesus has. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we often read that people were astonished at Jesus' authority. He showed authority in all that he said and did. Sometimes it says they were astonished at the authority with which he taught them. This was an authority that they weren't used to hearing. I'm sure scribes and Pharisees could teach with authority, but not this kind. Jesus' call is not coercive, but it comes with authority, and we are accountable to it. The very next story in this same chapter, Mark 1, uh, is Jesus casting out a demon, displaying his identity by his absolute authority over the devil and his minions. So there's a theme here that Mark is developing. Jesus is a man with authority, both over the devil and here over the hearts of human beings. So good. Jesus calls them. He is able to both command and to elicit an immediate response. But what for? 
What is he calling them to? That brings us to our second point. The second way that this gospel displays who Jesus is, is the kind of work he calls these disciples to. Come follow me, he says, and I will send you out to fish for people. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people had been shepherds. Abraham kept flocks and herds. So did Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons. The Israelites kept flocks and herds in Goshen in Egypt. Moses was busy taking care of his father-in-law's sheep when he saw the burning bush and God called him back to Egypt. And maybe most notably, David, Israel's great king, began as a shepherd boy. And that always remained part of who David was. David was the shepherd king. He was to care for God's people like a shepherd cares for the sheep. And that theme certainly continues in the New Testament. Jesus calls himself our good shepherd. And even today, we call the ministers in God's church pastors, a word that's associated with taking care of animals, caring for flocks and herds. Our ministers are shepherds, and they are called to take care of God's sheep. But when Jesus chooses the people who will be his disciples, the 12 apostles who correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel, through whom Jesus is establishing an Israel within Israel, these men on whom he will build his church, he chooses not shepherds, but fishermen. Not all the 12 disciples were fishermen, of course, but Peter, James, and John were, and Andrew too. Peter, James, and John were the leaders of the disciples. They were the ones in Jesus' inner circle. But what's more, Jesus actually describes the work he's calling them to in these same terms. He doesn't just choose fishermen. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. This is a new epoch in the history of Israel, and indeed in the history of the whole world. With the arrest of John the Baptist and the emergence of Jesus and his ministry, the era of the prophets is over. John was the last one. Jesus is now here, and with him the kingdom of God has arrived. The era of the old covenant is over, and the era of the new covenant is now beginning. And that means that the work of God's people is changing too. No longer can Israel simply look after its own and tend its own flock, like shepherds do. Now the work of God's people will also be to go out and find and catch new people to add to their number. God's people are no longer shepherds only. They must now be fishermen too. Just like their Lord Jesus, the disciples are being called to seek and to save the lost. When Luke tells this story of the calling of the disciples in Luke 5, the disciples have fished all night in the Sea of Galilee, and they haven't caught anything. And then at a word from Jesus, suddenly their nets are full. 
to the breaking point. And as Luke tells it, it's then that Jesus calls them. And it's then that they leave their boats and their fish and their old lives behind and follow him. The Gospel of John tells a similar story after Jesus has been raised from the dead, when the disciples had fished all night without success. And then at a word from the risen Christ, their nets are suddenly so full of fish that they cannot haul them in. These stories of miraculous catches of fish prefigure Acts chapter 2, when after Peter's great Pentecost sermon, over 3,000 souls are baptized and are added to the church. These stories also prefigure all the countless souls in all the centuries since then who have been called by the apostles' preaching and added to the church. The disciples had fished for fish. Now they fish for people. And at Jesus' word, their fishing will be successful. There's something else going on here, too. And it accords with one of the great themes of the season of Epiphany. In the Old Testament, the land represents Israel. And the sea frequently represents the nations. The sea is also associated with chaos and disorder. It's where the sea monster lives. It's the realm of other false gods and deities. It is full of fear and darkness. And so if you read the Old Testament, especially the prophets, fish and fishing are associated most often with the Gentiles. When fish are mentioned in the Old Testament prophets, it's usually in connection with judgment on the nations. So now when Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and fish for people, there's an implication that their mission will also be to the nations. That's where fish live. In this kind of biblical cosmology, the world is a heaving sea full of evil and darkness, ruled by spiritual powers and dominions beyond our understanding. But in that great dark sea, are schools of fish. And among those fish are those Jesus has called to be his own. Jesus is commanding his disciples to go out and bring them in by his word. And that is exactly what these men will do. These same 12 disciples will go to places like Samaria and Syria and Antioch. And tradition tells us even places like Persia and modern-day India. Paul, the apostle who will be added later, will go all the way, will go all throughout uh, Asia Minor, and even to Rome, and even, we think, to Spain. So the task of shepherding God's flock certainly continues. Remember at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, when Jesus gives Peter his commission, he tells him, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Pastors are still shepherds under their Lord, the good shepherd himself. But Jesus will also commission his disciples with another task just before he ascends back to heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always 
even to the end of the age. From the very beginning, when they were first called, this was the disciples' work, the work of fishermen, not only to care for the people already in the fold, but to go out and call people in and to call them with the same authority of the Lord who first called them. Those self-portraits by the elementary school kids displayed something of the real character of the children who had made them. How much more when we look at the real faces of the people we know. And how much more again when we see the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel message that Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom of God has come near, was not just a message about Jesus. The message is Jesus himself. That's why when we proclaim it again, he is, his word is spoken again, and he is present with us by his word. In it, he proclaims himself. The good news that the kingdom of God has come, the good news of repentance and faith in him, that good news contains Jesus himself in it. It did then, and it does now. And every time it is proclaimed, Jesus himself goes forth again by his spirit to seek and to save the lost. In the message of the gospel, God himself selves, goes himself. Myself, he speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. In other words, this new message of this kingdom is the kind of message that goes out into all the world, that seeks and saves the lost. It is not only for a few people, for the in crowd. It is for all people. That is what the message is, because that is who Christ is. This proclamation of that good news is the foundation and mission of the church. By it, he calls us with full authority, a call that demands a response. And by it, he gives us a new job, not only to care for those already in the church, but to go out and find his people in all the places where they are to be found and to catch them with his word and bring them into his church. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.